Hello and welcome to The Stack. On this week's show, I speak with two incredible women. British columnist Marina Hyde on her new book, What Just Happened? Dispatches from Turbulent Times, a compilation of her satirical columns of our crazy times. Plus, while in Brazil, I spoke to journalist and entrepreneur Joyce Pascovitch. Her magazines JP and Poder are among my favorite Brazilian reads. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. We start the show with Guardian columnist Marina Hyde. I read her brilliant and satirical columns every single week. Love how sharp and incredibly funny they are. In What Just Happened, Dispatches from Turbulent Times, Marina revisits some of her best columns since 2016. From Brexit to Trump, it's all in there. Marina met me at our studios here in Midori House. Marina Hyde, a pleasure to welcome you here at Monaco 24. Oh, it's fantastic to be here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, because I'm a reader of your columns, so it's fantastic. I think it's a fantastic idea for the book. Were you? How did you feel, you know, to kind of reread all your previous columns? Because this book is kind of a compilation of your more recent ones since 2016, right? Let me be clear with you. First of all, I couldn't remember writing huge amounts of it because there's just been so much news over that. I mean, I start this column about a week, this, sorry, this book, about a week before the Brexit referendum in 2016. And then we had, obviously, the Brexit referendum. We had Trump. We had Theresa May, her weird snap election that plunged the country into complete chaos because she didn't have a majority anymore. The kind of agonising attempt to get a Brexit deal. Boris Johnson a pandemic. And I would love to say that we were meeting on a day that we could just look back on all of this and say, gosh, it was so chaotic for years. But here we now are in a period of sublime calm. But since the advent of Liz Truss, I have to say that if anything, things have become more chaotic. And the Queen and so many other things so have changed. So many other things. The war. You know, yeah. And I, I mean, you know, there was sort of, you know, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, all these massive movements. I mean, it's just been a sort of tumultuous time, really. And so, yeah, when I was looking back at lots of these columns, I thought, my God, I mean, there were so many things that I sort of hadn't quite remembered and thought, God, did that really happen? I called it what just happened because I still react with sort of shock to the fact that some of these things really did occur. But there they are. They did happen. And I wrote a column about them at the time. It's such a pleasure reading your columns because sometimes you literally are writing what a lot of us are saying about this, the absurdity of everything that's happening as well, because it's a mixture of there's, of course, lots of humor in it as well. But but also like, well, actually, it's kind of serious. too. Yeah, I mean, the stakes are always really high mm. and they've never been higher, really. And that's always something I, you know, I try to use humor because I think it's a really good way to reach people. And, there, you know, there are some people that I read who I think, God, you're making such great points, but I slightly feel like I'm being shouted at. So I try to sort of use humour to reach the reader, but I'm always on the side of the reader. I'm always someone who wants to say, 
I share your despair. I share the fact that you threw your hands up at the television when you watched the news last night. Because I think ultimately, I'm very interested in people and characters in the way I write about lots of these things. And I suppose a lot of comedy comes from characters often failing to enact their plans or just failing to manage events. But I suppose the people I'm most interested in are the people to whom politics is done. And I think a lot of us have felt over the last few years that politics has been sort of done to us rather than in our name. One thing that you mentioned here in the book, I believe in the introduction, you say people say people are tired of politics, but actually they're clearly not, right? I mean, it's quite the opposite in a way. But you can't be tired of politics. That's the trouble. I mean, in the old days, you know, and I'm not even going back that much time, you were able to quite cheerfully ignore the news for two weeks, just quite cheerfully sort of check it and think, oh, I see that's what's going on there. Over this period, it's become a thing where you have to sort of check in every day. What does it mean for, you know, people were watching BBC Parliament Channel on these mad sort of Brexit votes thinking, will it ever be over? Now, you know, as I say, the stakes get ever higher. Now people are thinking about their mortgages, their livelihoods, the cost of living, which I always find a sort of rather affectless phrase, but which is a sort of terrifying, but, you know, it's the price of existing. The stakes are hugely high always. So it's quite difficult not to think about politics. Ideally, we should all be in situations where we don't have to think about politics. <laughs> this is the mark of a calm period where tolerance and prosperity are increasing rather than a chaotic period. However, we are not in one of those. And there are some moments in the book, I mean, besides the dispatches, there's some touches of kind of a more showbiz stories in a way. But, yeah. but politics and showbiz, they are quite, as you mentioned before we started the interview, they're quite interconnected in a way, right? I think you're totally right. I used to do a showbiz column in The Guardian hmm. called Lost in Showbiz. And I think that was the column I first kind of found my voice in. And I was writing about celebrity culture in the 2000s when it was kind of the only subject with the possible exception of like Islamic fundamentalism. There were these two like, you know, it was crazy. It was an explosion of celebrity culture. And so it was a great time to be writing about it. But I kind of got the voice in that column first. But now I sort of feel that politics itself has become a sort of reality show with these ridiculous, preposterous characters emerge who are kind of ill-suited to the top. You know, the, the train wrecks. People used to write a lot about train wrecks and we've gone back and looked at that way of covering celebrity culture and thinking it was awful the way people wrote about Britney Spears or Lindsay Lohan or whatever it was at the time. But I have to say that I think the kind of train wreck trope has moved into politics. I mean, I watch like lots of cabinet ministers and think... I mean, I watched Kwasi Kwarteng do a U-turn this morning and thought, this is like pure train wreck stuff. I feel like I'm watching a genuine train wreck here. I saw that as well yeah. this morning. It, yeah. It is a bit mad. Uh, Marina, what's your process of writing uh, a dispatch? You know, because they're, 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 they're quite they're quite long. They're, they're lovely pieces. How, how many words each one, more or less? I, I mean, they're always about a thousand words, mm. sometimes a bit longer and sometimes a tiny bit shorter, but generally about a thousand words. My it usually comes from the heart. I don't it, know how to describe that. It comes that. from the heart and I'm on a deadline. This is, this is the reality. It, journalism is a trade and not an art, and I'm very kind of strong on that. I get up very early in the morning and I open a Word document and I never start at the beginning. I just like write some random random things that I'm thinking in and I kind of move them around and I cut and paste them and out of this kind of soup, this primordial mess staggers something. Now, it might be a hopeless column or it might be a half-decent column, but something eventually staggers out within two or three hours. And I really never know in many ways what I am thinking. 
until I've gone through the process of writing about it. That's definitely something I feel. I don't sit down with some kind of thesis that I then think, I oh, know I must set this down from the opening paragraph and conclude in the end. I don't write like that at all. It's actually the act of writing that helps me think what on earth I think about half this stuff. And do you regret anything that, that, that you write? I mean, of course, for the book, when you had to actually reread more or less everything. Yeah, I mean, I, was, I yeah, I've, I've read I've certain... Even though you shouldn't, because it's no, great. No, I try not... I try, To be honest, I've been doing it so many years now that I try and self-edit, not self-censor, but self-edit in the writing process and think, am I being fair? Do I really think this? And it's almost instinctive now. It's almost as I'm typing that I'm doing that. So I don't tend to think that was going in a bit harsh there. I mean, there are certain people I think I've given too easy a ride to, but I, in general, I try not to regret things. It's also a horrible feeling, that type of regret in journalism, you know, when you think I've committed that to paper or for eternity on the internet or I've made a sort of legal error or anything like that. So I'm always trying to be kind of careful and precise, but I'm, because of practice, able to do it within the writing process. And who did you give an easy ride, by the way? I'm curious because... <laughs> do you know, so looking back, actually, one of my big regrets is after the referendum, that whole campaign to sort of the people's vote to overturn it. I know lots of people wanted to overturn it, but I don't think you can overturn something democratic like that. And I think it did a huge amount of damage to... I never thought they were actually going to do it and they were going to win. I never thought they were powerful enough and they were going to pull off what they wanted to do, which was to reverse the result. And so I didn't take the mickey out of those people as much as I think I probably should have because they were a strain of that opinion of the fallout of Brexit and I think it was sort of quite funny that kind of haute remainer sensibility but I never actually thought they were going to achieve it so in a way I didn't think they had the power I try to mainly focus on people who have the power so I'm always going to write more about the government of the day than I am about the opposition. And Marina, now a question about perhaps journalism in general. What do you think about the power of a columnist? Because I feel that some people are genuinely reading The Guardian because Marina Hyde is writing there. Or, 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 <laughs> I, or you know, there, there might be others well, I, as well. But I, th I think I it's so that, important in a well, way. That, you know, I can tell you something that I don't think that satire, if I can be so grand as to describe what I'm doing as satire, which I probably can't, but anyway I don't think satire has ever changed a single thing ever mm -hmm. in human history and I don't think the great satirists in the past, Swift, whoever it is, have changed anything. There's not, I don't think, can't think of a single instance, but what I do think it does is it, it ideally it provides a sort of balm, it, it sort of says you know, I see you, I also think these bit. I try and give people a way of looking at things, I try and say, come over here and let's be in a gang together against, in a gang of us against awful old them, you know. And I love the fact that you, you don't, you, you really don't spare anyone. It's the royal family, it, you know, it's the Labour Party, the Conservatives. I think that's also quite satisfying. Yeah, uh, you've got to sort of, you know, you've got to vary it a bit. I mean, you know, there are times when it's been quite difficult not to just write week in, week out about the government because... We've lived in such tumultuous times that it's quite difficult not to focus on, I don't know, the pandemic response or the, you know, the Brexit kind of tribulations. But I try to be equal opportunities in it. And if there was a total change of government, then there would be plenty of different things to write about. What just happened, part two? <laughs> Thank you very much, Marina. It's been a pleasure. And her book, What Just Happened? Dispatches from Turbulent Times, is out now. From London to São Paulo, 
where I've met Brazilian journalist and icon, Joyce Pascovitch. From writing a daily column at Brazil's biggest paper, Folha de São Paulo, Joyce was a pioneer in Brazil when she launched in 2000 her website, Glamurama. She also publishes monthly titles, JP and Poder, with the best in fashion, politics, culture and more. I've met Joyce at her office in Jardins, in São Paulo. Joyce Poscovich, a pleasure to have you here. It's amazing talking to you. I've been following your career for years with Glamurama, your magazines as well. But, you know, just to give us an introduction for some of our international listeners, where did you start? Because you started with a column at Folha de São Paulo, right? Yes. Correct me if I'm wrong. First, I would like to thank you. And uh, I'm a big fan of Monaco and of Tyler Brulee. He's like... A an inspiration for other people that do the same thing as I do. I began in Folha de São Paulo as a colonist and I didn't know even how to write in a computer. I didn't know at all. I was a very smart girl since I was a little girl and a smart young lady before going to Folha de São Paulo. And I think that's what they saw in me. I was doing a kind of house magazine for a, a nightclub in Sao Paulo because my brother was one of the partners of gallery. But I did not write actually or even edit. I was a kind of selling advertising and hanging around and everything and nothing. But I was not focused. Suddenly, someone in Folha de São Paulo, at that time was Machina Suzuki, he saw my work and he saw something that I didn't know and perhaps nobody knew. And he, he managed to see something that I had the potential to do something else. And that's how I went to Folha de São Paulo and I said, I'll stay for two months, three months. And I stayed for 14 years. That's fantastic, Joyce. And another thing I'd like to touch is Glamurama. I think it's been going on since 2000, correct me yes, if I'm wrong? Yes, 2000. It, it was kind of a pioneering website, right? Because this was one of, one of the first, and you talk about fashion, travel, even a little bit of politics as well. Yes. And, and, and how big was it? Because it was 2000. It was still kind of a new thing. Of course, we had a few websites from the, you know, the big media players, Folia, uh, perhaps wall was it a big risk? Uh, I think you would quite like innovation, right? <laughs> Knowing uh, you. Yes, it was a risk going out of Fulet São Paulo, leaving Fulet São Paulo, and I didn't want to stay anymore. I thought that I didn't have where to grow there, and actually, I think I wanted a change, a movement. So, towards the beginning of the internet in Brazil, in the world. Brazil is always a big player in the internet since the beginning it was. And why not? I didn't see any question, any answer for why not going to the internet, a brand new world. And I brought with me a lot of what I've learned, not only in Folha de São Paulo, but I used to do TV also, Global News. Mm -hmm. And I was live in the beginning. And I used to write and talk. I was like a, well, I was not a presenter, I was a columnist also there. A commentator. Yeah. 
And when I went to the net, the internet, I began to write not as I usually write. I used to write in, in, in folia, like a paper style of writing. Mm -hmm. When I went to the internet, I decided by myself that that kind of style would not work. So I began to write to the internet as I did for the TV. And that was the click. Wow, that's fantastic and very smart as well. But at the same time, I know you are a woman that also likes print. And so do I. Uh, you have two magazines. I think that's fantastic. Of course, you have uh, JP, Joyce Pascovich magazine, and also Poder, which I find it quite interesting because it's about power. But first of all, give us an introduction of those two magazines. I believe uh, JP came first, Joyce Pascovich magazine, and then Poder. Um, Tell us about when did you launch the first one, and then I want to talk more about Poder. After Folha de São Paulo, I was hired by Grupo Globo, TV Globo and uh, Globo Media. And I, uh, I, I worked for six years in a Revista Época, and then they asked me to relaunch a celebrity magazine called Kane. After six years, I didn't want to stay anymore. But I had done a very good job, so I kept. But all the, the advertisers wanted to do something with me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to rest for six months because I had glamourem already. So I could. Uh, I wanted to, to, to be more focused on the internet, but I couldn't because all these uh, advertisers, they convinced me to, to launch a magazine. This time with my NDA, mm -hmm. because I was not working for anybody else, it was me. So, like this, I decided I, I had the money, not, not my money, but people who wanted a kind of content that they didn't find. And they thought that I would do it well. So that's how uh, JP began. It was supposed to be called Glamourama. But because of Glamour magazine that was coming to Brazil, we couldn't. So in the last minute, we had to choose a, a, a name. And actually, I didn't like, I never liked to have a, uh, something with my name. I don't like. I don't like uh, uh, when I get any gift with uh, JP. <laughs> I don't like. I, I have enough. <laughs> I don't like. I mean, uh, it means something that I don't believe. But the magazine was more than a name, so it began, it went very well, very different from the others in Brazil, and with a lot of personality too. And after, this was 2006, so um, 22, 16 years. Wow, and still going, I have yes. a September issue here in front of us. And. Then, after launching, I said, we should do something for... At first, I thought in men, as a men magazine, mm -hmm. or did as a men magazine. But this was before all this revolution, and I'm very feminist myself, and I believe in women. 
And so Poder became a kind of magazine for the thinking men and women. For people who want something more unusual. Uh, it's, it talks about politics, economy, uh, philosophy, uh, health, um, arts, whatever. Things that they don't, we don't find in other magazines. Sure, I see. My, my question to you, the magazine market changed so much uh, throughout the years, as you know. How is it to make a magazine in Brazil today? Because I see Sao Paulo, first of all, we have amazing newsstands, but there are less of them, I've noticed, uh, which is a shame. Uh, so how did affect your job? I mean, do you have more subscriptions? Are there other methods you're thinking? Or, or is there still people here that loves to go and buy the printed copy every, every month? We are living very, very difficult times. And our magazines were very, very thick. Now they are thin. I still believe in monthly magazines. I believe very much as long as there's something else together. I mean, internet, events, videos, podcasts, lives, everything together. 360 communication. I believe in that. And the magazines, they are part of that. And I think they are an important part of that. I don't think that monthly magazines will disappear. I think we are, we are having tough times, but not only magazines. <laughs> the world is changing, men is changing, everything is changing very quickly. And actually, I have to tell you that I like that. I like these changes. I like not to feel very... I like to know that I can move. That's a great quote. And I think, in my opinion, as a reader, one of the good things about your magazine, as you say, it's quite, not personal just because of you, but it does have a, a point of view. It's not just, you know, you get a press release or you get the latest celebrity, you know, it, it, it is that, I think, what the magazines don't survive. Personality, exactly. Don't you think that's the secret? So people, they don't know, they're not just getting like some sort of catalog without an opinion. Personality, truth, ethics, and a kind of humor, and in Portuguese there's a word that I love, ousadia, to dare. Mm -hmm. I think that's our mix. And perhaps I just want to touch, of course, we are about to uh, vote for a new president, new governors and senators. I know Poder does talk a little about politics. Do you consider yourself a political woman? How are you going to approach this election, which, you know, a lot of people from outside Brazil are very, paying very much attention mm -hmm. to it. I love politics. Mm -hmm. I began to like it when I began in Folha de São Paulo. The column has had a lot of politics and I, I began to have a, a big pleasure in trying to understand this world. And till today I like this world very, very much. I find it very interesting. Although we can see in the whole world all this bipolarity, Biden and Trump, and when I see what happened with uh, Boris Johnson in London, I would never imagine that that would happen. Even in France, Macron, and uh, when I think of a good example, I think of Angela Merkel. Mm -hmm. 
and a woman. <laughs> I miss her a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But in Brazil it's the same polarity and we have two old-fashioned candidates, very old-fashioned, and we have others but they don't have so much possibility. So we have to think very well if we can vote in who we really would like to or to vote with the mind and the heart. So very, very difficult time. We try to show it in our magazines, mainly in Poder and Poder Online, we have to, but we try not to, I learned that in, in Folha de São Paulo. We show what's happening with our eyes, but I try not to enter in a big discussion about right or left or up or down. Interesting. And finally, Joyce, just because you're someone with very good taste, if one of our listeners come to Brazil, besides buying a copy of JP and Poder, which are great magazines, I guarantee, is there anything else you like to read here in Brazil? It can be a website, a magazines, newspapers, or even if it's foreign, that's okay as well. So, I read a lot of news, mm-hmm. news, websites, news. Otherwise, I like very much newsletters, mm-hmm. but in Brazil we don't have. I want to do a special one. I like Airmail by Graydon Carter. Mm-hmm. I read every day Financial Times, New York Times. I subscribe to Monaco newsletter. Nice. <laughs> so that's what I read. Brazilian, Brazilian only news. Thank you very much, Joyce. A pleasure talking to you. Her website is glamurama.com.br and you can buy her magazines JP and Poder when in Brazil. That's it for this week's show. My thanks as ever to our editor, Adam Heaton. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And remember... We're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. You can always subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Glamour Hammer, Is It True? You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me.